Welcome, welcome, welcome in to Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on a Thursday. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. Thanks for being with us. Coming up on the show today, talk some Tin Caps baseball. It's finally here. Single game tickets on sale today. We'll give you details after headlines on that. Plus, in hour number two, we'll be joined by new Tin Caps manager Mike Daly. He will join us at 8.30. We'll talk about his path from scouting to assistant GM to now a minor league manager across uh, now several Major League Baseball uh, systems and been with the Padres organization for the last couple of years. So we'll talk with his journey after uh, about 8.30. Also in hour number two, a former Pacer is awaiting a heart transplant. We'll give you uh, details there. And... The NFLPA released a survey, grass versus turf, what the players' union had to say, and several other key topics they address. Of course, this is normal. They do this on Super Bowl week every year as far as some of their priorities surveying the players. And we had an incident at the Sphere yesterday. We'll get to that at the end of the show after 8.50 this morning. You sent me that. I did. Interesting story. I yeah. also have I've seen a couple of days before... Because the sphere, you know, we talked about it losing a lot of money in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Is making a lot of money so far this year, apparently. Good for them. Yes. Well, I mean, they, they finally have concerts that are booked. Yeah, that helps. And uh, advertising is picked up and, you know, getting in the news for different reasons yesterday. Yes, absolutely. And to come in hour number one, again, we'll talk about tin caps and tickets going on sale. Plus, did a move by the Bears hint what they're going to do in the draft. We'll get to that coming up uh, in about 20 minutes or so. And this hour, uh, again, bringing a fun Super Bowl story for you. Well, this, I guess, ties into the Super Bowl. Uh, are you a fan of the Puppy Bowl? Uh, yes, Puppy, Puppy Bowl 20 yes. is coming up on Sunday. I don't know what, what else is going on on Sunday, but Puppy Bowl 20 is on. So we will give you uh, the lowdown on Puppy Bowl 20, including some outstanding dog names mm. that are participating in the puppy bowl. all right so that's all to come today on the show four six eight six two is how you reach us on the text line again four six eight six two just put in ck before your message and uh, we'll get to that throughout the course of the show this morning speaking of morning good morning hello how are you good you uh yeah doing well doing well good 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 uh One thursday to yeah the weekend. that's right that's right so just, uh it's been a drag this week feels on my side at least this week has felt quick for me no really? complaints yeah. yeah good which good means, for you which means next week will probably feel the opposite probably <laughs> it usually evens out at some point but uh it's supposed to be nice and warm today nice and warm tomorrow so let's enjoy it while it lasts absolutely and let's dive into headlines this morning and we start off in college football and this was kind of rumored and he had done this at, at times for espn but now Nick Saban officially joining College Game Day this fall for ESPN as an analyst, and obviously this is going to be, I think, exciting for everyone to add him and to to break things down on TV. So I was trying to figure this out. I mean, is he going to be at the table the entire time? That's what I was wondering as well. So you have um, you have Chris Fowler, you have Desmond, you have Kirk Herbstreet. Well, you don't have Fowler anymore, right? You have Reese. Well, or, 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 yeah, it's Reese Davis. That's now. true. I'm sorry. I, I always confuse those guys. So, because it used to be Yes, Fowler. but now it's Reese. And then 
Um, is McAfee a permanent part of the table? As far as I know, I mean the the picture they sent out included all of them plus Nick Saban. So yeah, so no one's leaving. It's always uh, gets more crowded tables. Basically, what my point is, but um, Nick Saban will be a great addition to that uh, that team on Saturday mornings. Uh, meanwhile, there was a rumor, and you know we wondered. Did Bill Belichick seriously not get anywhere? Well, the the rumor is that the Falcons did offer Belichick the head coaching job. Hmm. I I just I I don't think Bill Belichick at his age right now wants to be part of some sort of multi year rebuild, which is what Atlanta is. I think Bill Belichick. That's why I think next off season is key for Bill Belichick if he's going to have a chance to break the all-time wins record because I could see multiple playoff contending teams needing coaches. When we look at Buffalo, how next year goes for them. We've talked about them ad nauseum. When you look at uh, potentially, I don't know, Cincinnati, maybe, who knows? Um, When you look at even Kansas City at this point, we don't know what Andy Reid is going to do at the end of this season. Is it as simple as he sticks around? Is it as simple as he retires and Eric Bieniemy comes back to uh, be the head coach? He's been a guest of the co- of the Chiefs this week during practices, uh, and has taught and he talked to the Chiefs before the AFC Championship game. So is that a sign of potential things to come? So I think he's a guy that's looking for the perfect situation. I don't blame him. I think he's earned that right, and I don't think Atlanta is that perfect situation. Far from it. And for Belichick, again, 26 wins away from tying Don Shula for the most regular season wins in NFL history, 14 from tying him for most wins, including playoffs. So either way, a lot of people say he wants that record. Well, he's going to have to coach three, probably three or four seasons at least to, to hit those marks. So especially if you're starting with a franchise that's kind of rebuilding, and, and that's what Atlanta seems to be doing. But... uh yeah, it, it's it's puzzling, and as I think I heard on Dan Patrick the other day, is this a case where he does TV for a year, he comes back, and then everyone's like, "Oh, he's a great candidate because he, you know, did the media tour essentially, yeah, and then yeah, he became the more likable." Like, is is that yeah. is that the play for Belichick? I, I, I could see that for sure, but I also think he he has just, he has earned the right to be picky. I, I think people are. I think he wants that record. I don't think he's desperate for that record. If he was, he would have taken the Atlanta job. Um, he would take any job to try to rack up wins. I just think maybe maybe the onus we're putting on that record is more than what Bill Belichick is putting on it at this point. So, And that could definitely be a factor. He's not going to just chase any job just for that record. Yeah. Choosy is, is fine, and maybe that's what we saw this offseason. In Major League Baseball, a record arbitration... Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, won against the Blue Jays $19.9 million. So he filed at that number. The Blue Jays counted at $18.05 million, And the panel heard everything and gave him the full $19.9 million. <laughs> Largest uh, salary ever rewarded through a hearing. That's wild. That is wild. Because usually those hearings go, you know, okay, we're going we're gonna to find somewhere in the middle. But uh, no, every single bit of it handed over. So don't see that very often. No, you do not. So good for Vladdy Jr., the 24-year-old, again, 
uh, coming off an all-star season. So he gets paid. Good for him. Uh, We have this story where a guy is getting paid, a high school sports broadcaster. This is... This is wild. Absolutely wild. A 25... Yes. $25 million judgment uh, in favor of this man who was wrongfully accused of racism. So... This goes back, and I do remember this has happened in, in high school, like on a high school sports broadcast in Oklahoma in 2021, and the announcer who made national headlines for it, uh, but some of the headlines had the wrong announcer. Um, the announcer was initially reported as Scott Sepulpa, and it was a mistaken identity case, so he sued the newspaper, journalists, and others, and he received a $25 million uh, amount in damages after jury ruled that the state's biggest newspaper, the Oklahoman, deliberately misidentified him as the racist announcer during the high school basketball game that occurred in March of 2021. So basically what happened is these two guys are about to do the game. The national anthem starts playing. The uh, One of the teams kneels for the anthem, and Matt Rowan just goes on a racist tirade, like using the N-word and everything. Like it was crazy. It was on, it was on stream, okay? And then the Oklahoman reported it as Matt Sepulpa or Scott Sepulpa being the guy that went on the racist tirade, not Matt Rowan. It was only up for about three hours, but still to be identified as the guy that did that. And for something that goes viral online, right? I I mean, like, uh, and and I think the amusing part of this is it's, it's Gannett having to pay $25 million. I just feel bad for the, I'm sure now unemployed, or at least not working at the Oklahoman, the whoever the reporter was or whoever copy editor that put the headline up and misidentified the uh, the culprit of this because it was very very expensive for the newspaper and the ownership. Five million dollars for actual damages, twenty million dollars in punitive damages. Uh, Gannett did acknowledge the error. They said they corrected it quickly, which, yeah, they did. But the problem is, with a story like that, even being up for just a couple of hours, that is certainly going to tarnish someone's reputation. But I would take, I would uh, put me in the line of fire for three hours to make $25 million. That's me. I would not want the reputation of that because it, it would be incorrect. But the people that matter. I mean, locally, we'll get the real story. You know, they know. I mean, I couldn't care less what a person in Wisconsin thinks, uh, especially if I have $25 million. So I would fall on that sword for three hours. The people that know me know that that's not accurate, and then eventually it got corrected. I mean, but think about this. You'd probably lose your job. Like you, you got $25 million. Yeah, three years later. Well, that's true. But, I mean, <laughs> that's... But, you know, eventually he got paid, for sure. But... I'm sure if he had lost his job, it was given back to him after the fact, or even if you lose your job, like that's a, uh, another thing, like locally, like you can play that, like, see, that's not me. I don't care what the newspaper said. That's not me. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I would, uh, I, that's a, that's a big payday in my opinion for just three hours, but you know, the best part of this is, is Gannett losing 25. Yeah, that's, that's the part that I find joy in the story. Uh, Gannett, who has essentially shredded the newspaper industry for years. Oh, yeah. And Destroyed it. with just cutting editors and silly mistakes and seeing this and them being the people having to pay. 
just makes it all the better. Yes. Um, it, it's some sort of poetic justice for Gannett to have to pay $25 million. Absolutely. We move on in headlines this morning. The Comets got out to a two to nothing lead last night, but they were not able to hang on. There was a goal that was under review, did not go in the case favor, and they fell to the first place Mavericks last night uh, in Kansas City. Again, top team in the ECHL. 3-2 loss for the Kays. Uh, they did uh, make a couple of moves before the game. Dijon Mingo and Sean Sidlowski activated from reserve. Ethan Keppen, Mark Antoine Pepin were placed on reserve before the game. But for the Kays, it just feels like a missed opportunity. Yeah, getting up multiple goals against the best team in the ECHL uh, felt like a great opportunity for the Kays to get a big win on the road and weren't able to do it. Give up three unanswered. Looked like they had potentially scored when Matthew Wedman um, tipped the, the the puck in the in the goal. They they then overruled it. Said there was a kicking motion. I never really did. I see, didn't see the it kicking motion, um, but it was disallowed, and the K's lose. So kind of a missed opportunity with the K's. That's going to take the headlines. But you know, up two zero, you got to protect that lead. And they weren't able to at Kansas City last night. Yeah, that's that's the biggest thing for me, right? Just like the the playoff loss a few years ago, the goal taken back. I mean, like you got to take advantage of your opportunities, and unfortunately, they were not able to do so last night. And this was a a great opportunity. They're back at it again tonight uh, at Wichita, eight oh five puck drop here Eastern time uh, for the K's and the Thunder. Looking forward to the K's back at home this weekend. And Purdue-Fort Wayne in action last night, and it was, again, just another opportunity, right? This is a team that you, you said had a 12-point lead. Uh, yeah, in the second half. And they end up falling to Cleveland State 75-72 to last night at the Coliseum. Uh, Rashid Bello with 22, Jalen Jackson with 21 to lead the Dons. And this one, they had some chances at the end of the game, but it just fell just short as far as to try to send it into OT. I don't know what the record is. Of of the nine losses for Purdue-Fort Wayne this year, I wonder how many they had a second-half lead of some sort. Uh, And and a sizable second-half lead of of at least two possessions is kind of what I'm saying. Because it seems like a lot of them. Seven of the nine losses, single digits. Uh, it's eight or uh, less. Yeah, and and just uh, and and I'm sure several of those they had a decent lead at some point in the second half, and the Dons just uh, let one get away at home. I mean, just you just you just can't do that. I, I mean, you lose two of three at home with the stretch of games you had home with this three game uh, home swing. Uh, now you hit the road, but you let a game get away against Milwaukee last week. And then you let one get away last night against Cleveland State. Just another disappointing loss for the Dons. I mean, at home. I mean, you got to defend your home court. I mean, the, the the Dons have lost four of their last five games at home. Wright State, IUPUI, Milwaukee, and Cleveland State. The only win over that span since mid-January has been Youngstown State at home. I mean, if you can't win at home, you have no chance. No chance in whatever league you're in. And the Dons right now... Are, not, are doing a very bad job of defending their home court. And if you can't win at home, right, you're not going to find yourself doing yeah, like, anything in March. Even if you can you know, steal some games on the road here or there, 
which they were able to do against Northern Kentucky in late January, doesn't really matter if you can't defend your home floor. And the Dons right now can't defend their home floor. 46862, your text line number again, 46862. We shift from Purdue-Fort Wayne to the Tin Caps. It's a big day for the Tin Caps as they get ready to ramp up for the 2024 season. Single game tickets go on sale today. So here's the details. You can go to tincaps.com or you can call 260-482-6400 or visit the ticket office. So they're having a complimentary breakfast at the Parkview Field Lounge for people who purchase tickets in person today. So 8 to 10 a.m. That's where that uh, complimentary breakfast is. And uh, there you go. I mean, th- those are the details. Tin Caps start the season on the road April 5th at Great Lakes. Home opener April 9th against Lake County at Parkview Field. 15th season, Justin. Can you believe this? 15th season of Tin Caps baseball at Parkview Field. It's been uh, uh, quite a 15 years. The, the, the Really, the impetus of downtown revitalization in Fort Wayne was Parkview Field and uh, really jump-started everything that we've seen uh, downtown and continue to see with the development down there. But, yeah, if you work downtown or if you have a little bit this morning, starting at 8 o'clock, swing by Parkview Field, uh, s- uh, see Mike Nutter and the crew, and get some get a hearty breakfast, all plenty of eggs and bacon and sausage and all that stuff. And uh, you can build your customized... Uh, season ticket package if you want a, a group of five games group of six games whatever if you want every single home game if you want half whatever you want even if you just want two tickets to a single game in july you can do it starting today and bonus you get some breakfast if you swing by in between eight and ten this morning parkview field absolutely look forward to it and uh i'm sure we'll be back out at parkview field for Opening day once again here with 1380 The Fan. And don't forget, you can listen to every Tin Caps game all season long right here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. And hopefully in the coming months, we'll have a, a special announcement for you regarding mm. the Tin Caps. So Interesting. Stay tuned for that. But it's it's not going to be anytime soon. Oh, okay. So, um, But hopefully, maybe even by opening day, all right. we'll have that uh, special announcement. So we shall see. And don't forget... New Tin Caps manager Mike Daly will join us at 8.30 coming up in the second hour later this morning. Coming up on the other side, did the Bears give us a hint at what they're going to do with the number one pick? Details next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. 46862. If you're a Bears fan, this segment is for you. So the Chicago Bears perhaps have given us a hint at what they're going to do this offseason at quarterback. Kevin Warren, who's now the Bears team president, former Big Ten commissioner, announced that the Bears are raising season ticket prices by an average of 8%. Now, this will be uh, the, the price ranges specifically from 6.2% to 11.3%, so an average of 8% for the 2024 season ticket packages. Now, there is no increase in season tickets in 2023, a 6% increase in 22, no increase in 2021. Why else would you raise season ticket prices if you're not going to make a splash at quarterback? Well, you went from three wins to seven wins, so there's some momentum there. 
I could see that. You're probably not raising them if they go from seven wins to three wins. No. So I see that. Uh, I do think, though, that everything that I'm reading and a lot of stuff coming out of the, of the Senior Bowl in terms of higher-ups with teams and, and, uh, and scouts and all that stuff are beginning to fall in line with the Chicago Bears will take Caleb Williams, number one. And all this stuff about, oh, Caleb Williams doesn't want to play for the Bears, but it's all malarkey. Yeah, that was uh, it's made not up, true, right? It's, it's, yeah, it's it's wrong. <laughs> so even Cowherd got called out by Caleb Williams's people by trying to to pass along that narrative. Like it's not right. So Caleb Williams is going to the Chicago Bears, and then they're going to trade Justin Fields. Uh, by all indications, that's going to be the plan for the Chicago Bears. Now it could all change tomorrow if something happens. Um, you know who knows? It's the NFL. It's sports. Who knows? But as of now, that, that, that seems to be the consensus around the league is the Bears will take Caleb Williams at one and the Bears will trade Justin Fields. The, the, I think a bigger question than now uh, after that is what can you get out of Justin Fields in trade? And that's the debate that's going on right now. I heard yesterday that uh, I, I, I think there was, I don't know if this was a, a rumor, a report, but that... Justin Fields could even get a first round pick in a deal, which I thought, I mean, if you're the bears, you take that right away. Yeah, that would I think be a, a second round pick is more likely. Uh, this is just what I heard listening to cowherd uh, on my drive home yesterday afternoon. So if I'm the Chicago bears, obviously you're taking a first round pick, but if you can get a second, you said could flip to a first, maybe that's the play. Yeah. It could be a conditional pick where if Justin Fields, wherever he goes, let's say Atlanta, uh, he gets Atlanta to the playoffs next year. That second would turn into a first. There is growing uh, a growing sense that Washington will at the very least make a very, very aggressive attempt to trade up from number two to number one to take Caleb Williams. Now with Cliff Kingsbury as their OC in Washington, would the Bears entertain that similar to last year where they traded that number one pick and got a boatload of picks? Would they do that to trade down to number two and settle for a Drake May or even a Jaden Daniels? That's a possibility. I just don't think right now that the Bears are interested in trading that pick yet. We'll see how the you know the pre-draft workouts go and Caleb Williams' interviews and all that stuff, and maybe that changes, but right now I don't think that's a, that goes anywhere. Well, and, and Chicago needs a quarterback. I, I don't think there's any doubt that running it back with Justin Fields, one, you're going to lose the fan base. Two, he's had enough time. Yeah, he's right, had enough to, time to, to prove show himself. you what he is and isn't. The, the Bears have had three straight losing seasons. They were 7-10 and 10 last year. There was some progress. But you're talking about a division that no longer had Aaron Rodgers, and yet the, the Bears still couldn't do anything out of it. Well, I mean, Detroit was obviously the class of the yes. uh, of the division last year. But you look at the progress with the Bears in terms of the defensive side of the football, and there's a lot of young talent on that defensive um, uh, unit. You trade for Montez Sweat that turned out to be a very lucrative trade for Chicago, the first player in NFL history to lead two teams in sacks in the same season because he got traded from Washington midseason and ended up still being their sack leader at the end of the year. You have a, a, a burgeoning, really deep, deep young secondary too 
with guys like Jalen Johnson and Kyler Gordon. And then, of course, you have a legit number one wide receiver now. So for Chicago, I think you're you're ascending. You've shown progress, but I think you're still being held back by the quarterback position. I think it's a it's it's only a matter of time till Justin Fields gets moved, and it, it could be the best thing for Justin Fields too. Go somewhere that is able to develop him a little bit better than Chicago, and maybe he can turn into something. But his limitations are clear in Chicago. And the biggest thing I think for me is when you look at this is you move on from Justin Fields and you don't have to pay him. Now he's not going to make 40, 50 million dollars, but he'll probably make 25 million still on a rookie scale contract. Yes, but he is about to have to get you're about to have to pay him. And so by basically trading Justin Fields and drafting Caleb Williams, you restart that clock and you have a lot more cap flexibility with another quarterback on a rookie contract. And if Caleb Williams' ceiling is higher than Justin Fields, which I think everybody can agree on that, then it makes total sense to move on from Justin Fields, draft Caleb Williams, and continue to build what is a pretty decent roster in terms of defense and special and, and, and skill position players and build around your quarterback. Now, I think the thing that won't happen is drafting a quarterback and keeping fields on the rock, like no. just you got to You got to move on. And we have several texts coming in on, on possibilities for the bears uh, at four, six, eight, six, two CK fields to Atlanta for a second round pick is a match made in heaven. Well, that's, that's been the, the storyline for months, but you just wonder, is that actually going to play out that way? I mean, that's great for Justin Fields. And yes, Atlanta needs a quarterback because they're they're in a worse spot than the Bears because they have two quarterbacks who can't do anything as far as being long-term options in Desmond Ritter and Taylor Heineke. But are the Falcons actually interested in that deal? Because I think we talk a lot about, oh, Justin Fields, you know, he's from the Atlanta area, all those things. But are the Falcons actually interested in him? I think that's a, a a big question because I don't think we 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 know for sure. He has some connections. Uh, he's around. He's from that around that area, so it makes sense in terms of of makes sense for him for him, right? Yeah. So you have some some uh, some similarities with guys on in that front office that know that worked with Chicago in Chicago. So there's a connection there, but does it does it make sense for Atlanta? And that's the biggest question that we don't know. So. Um, it sounds good. You, you also throw out Denver as, as maybe a team. You could throw out even the Raiders, although I don't see that happening with Luke Getze now their OC and how it didn't work out in Chicago between the two. Yeah, someone in fact just texted that in, Fields to Vegas. So. Yeah, but I, I mean, it sounds okay, but with Luke Getze now out there and they didn't work the best together in Chicago, I just uh, have a hard time thinking that would be the play uh, to get him um, to to supplant um, Jimmy Garoppolo and Aiden O'Connell out in Vegas. Um, CK, I'm a, a Redskins fan. Oops, Commanders fan, but do the letters RG3 ring a bell? Don't lovers the future to move up. Don't lever. Uh, it's uh, leverage, I, it I Leverage think. the future to move up one spot. So he's talking about Washington potentially moving up to number one. He's making the comparison from RG3 when they moved up to take him. I think you can get a, a pretty darn good quarterback at two. Whether it's Jaden Daniels I or Drake May, I tend to like Jaden Daniels more than Drake May. Uh, maybe it's the the Heisman effect on me. I'm not sure. It's, it's not even the Heisman for me. I just think he played in a better offensive system. And my issue 
with Drake May. One, I think it it's just bias against North Carolina quarterbacks in terms <laughs> of what they've done in the NFL. Uh, Sam Howell is decent, right? Uh, but we all know what happened with Mitch, Mitch Trubisky. Trubisky, who was getting checked all the boxes in terms of measurables, but there just wasn't enough of a sample size. That's not the issue with Drake May. Several seasons as a starter compared to Trubisky, but he had so many opportunities in big games and just couldn't do anything. Yeah. I mean, people are... And they uh, would always fade as the season went on. That's the other thing that's concerning. Now, that's not entirely on Drake May, mind you. True. But they were they were peaking in September. They were not peaking in October and November. I will go... Drake May is another one of those where people are saying, well, the measurables are good at 6'4", 230, 235 or around there. But I just... The, the eye test for me with Drake May is it, it, I'm not wowed. By He's Drake a good May. player, but he does not seem like an NFL, you know, top two pick level talent to me. Not to me, but uh, also somebody throwing out the Steelers as a potential dark horse for Justin Fields. I mean, if, if, if you're ready to move on from Kenny Pickett, that could make sense. I don't know if Pittsburgh is. Now, some people I, I think really they like give, Kenny Pickett. I think they give him one more year and just the fact that he's a hometown kid, I don't think they're going to just gut that now Mike Tomlin and the Steelers as much of the as they have struggled to do anything in the playoffs they're still getting to the playoffs yes yes and and, and almost a part of me is like are they are they holding on instead of a complete rebuild because they're so obsessed with making the playoffs each and every year even though they're not effective when they get there um but I do think as we stand right now, and, and Adam Schefter mentioned it, and we've seen it coming out of the Senior Bowl for multiple people, it just right now, as we stand February 8th, the Chicago Bears look like they're a team that's going to take Caleb Williams at number one and move on from Justin Fields. And if you get multiple teams interested in Justin Fields, then maybe you can get you can definitely get more of a return. I, I look at it as maybe a second and a fifth or a second and a sixth as maybe the apex of what you can get. But if there are three or four teams that think, Hey, he has the skill set, and we can take him to the next level. If you're confident in what your offensive staff can do with him, maybe a team offers a second or a third or a second or a fourth or two twos or something like that to really get a hold of Justin Fields. So the Chicago bears, whether it's the number one pick or Justin Fields, they're in a commanding position with both. Because I think Washington is going to make a serious play for that number one pick, and the Bears can entertain it, and they have probably will have several suitors for Justin Fields if and when they move him. And with the Bears that have done a really good job of weaponizing their picks, whether it's via uh, taking guys or via trade, but getting Montez Sweat for that second round pick, they've done a pretty good job. And giving them more picks is going to uh, help them if they can draft well to continue to build. But of course the most important position is quarterback and is, and that's a different conversation is, is Caleb Williams the right pick at number one? But it sounds like the Chicago bears as of today are trending that direction. And for as, as much as there was made about and rightfully so he struggled compared to the prior year. I mean, we're still talking about a quarterback who in 2023 had his best completion percentage, best uh, average tied for the fewest interceptions ran for the most rushing touchdowns in his college career. So it's not like it was a bad season. We're talking over 3,000 yards, 30 touchdowns, and five picks. So, yes, it wasn't his Heisman campaign level of stats, but it was a much worse team, and three of those picks were against Notre Dame. 
Yeah, and and definitely looked uncomfortable against Notre Dame and some other teams, some some big games on the schedule for sure. But um, again, coming back to Justin Fields, CK, if I run a franchise, the last thing I'll do is trade for someone else's trash. I get it, but it shows you the importance of the quarterback position in the NFL. Justin Fields has started in this league for multiple seasons. He hasn't completely embarrassed himself. He's an average quarterback, but for some for some NFL teams, that's an upgrade. And I think the confidence in their abilities of saying, okay, well, Chicago didn't do this, this, this with Justin Fields. We'll do this, this, this. The belief, maybe the arrogance that you can take a, a player to the next level is going to be quite the lure for a guy that's very athletic, uh, can run the football, uh, is a good, by all accounts, a good leader in the locker room and on the field. He's just not an effective enough passer. And a, a franchise out there is going to think that they can, they can help him in that regard and, and maybe turn him into a really good starting quarterback in the NFL. And a guy with only a $6 million cap hit, which you compare that to, for example, the Dallas Cowboys, Dak Prescott, over $50 million. And they're kind of Ooh. stuck in that purgatory. So <laughs> with Fields, are. you have a rookie contract. I, I mean, I understand that he has not had the level of success to make you believe he can be a long-term starting quarterback in this league, but he's still cheap enough as an asset when it comes to you know, contracts and, and how things work in the NFL. Still being on that rookie contract is the key thing, and that's going to be the selling point for teams because they could, they could say, look, we could try him out for a year, and then we don't have to re-sign him. You move on. Yeah, you don't pick up that fifth-year option if you don't want it. Uh, CK, they need to trade fields and announce a new stadium on the same day. Headline Bears trading both fields. Uh, <laughs> well, there was an update on that. There was an update. So basically, they're now looking at the south lot of of uh, of of Ar- Soldier Field. Heights? Which no, oh, no, oh, the okay. south lot uh, adjacent to Soldier Field. So basically, a a, a giant parking lot, uh, which is problematic in itself. Because I was talking to a buddy of mine that's very really familiar with Chicago, and I was like, "Is that is that space big enough for a stadium?" He's like, "It's big enough for." the smallest capacity stadium in the, in the NFL, which the bears already have. Mm-hmm. And the problem is the bears then can't tear down soldier field because then it's a historic landmark and it's owned by the city, but it's not like you build a bigger stadium adjacent to it and then tear down the old stadium because you can't tear down soldier field. Well, so, I, the way I read it was that they would look at a fixed roof was the specific words that Kevin Warren said at either site, whether it's Arlington Heights, which is the land they own or, at Soldier Field. That's the way I understood it. it it's, it's tough because people, that, well, you know, you want to stay in Chicago, but, you know, there's not a lot of open land in Chicago. I mean, it's a metroplex. It's, there's stuff everywhere. So there's not just big swaths of land that you're like, okay, yeah, smack dab in the middle of Chicago that we're going to build a stadium at. That's, that's kind of a problem. Um, and so... For the Chicago Bears who do don't own their stadium now, it's not like they can leverage it in any way. So we'll see what Chicago ends up doing or the Bears end up doing. Uh, I, I still think they build outside of Chicago at some point, one of the suburbs or the Arlington Heights or, or Naperville or whatever. Um, and, well, and I mean, you, you go across the list. So uh, an article that goes through every city or area that's been mentioned. Arlington Heights, obviously, where they own that land. Aurora. Chicago, where their stadium currently is, Country Club Hills, Naperville, Richton Park, Waukegan, and Northwest Indiana. These are all possibilities 
They've been part of those discussions. Now, do I think it's between Arlington Heights and Chicago? Yes, because that's where they're the furthest along in e- either of those entities. But you are right about the, the South Lot thing, but then what do you do at Soldier Field? I mean, you just... You can't do, do anything with it. Do you... You take out the remodel part and then just go back yeah, to how it go was. back to the columns. Yeah, I mean, but and then that's have a, the the Chicago Fire just keep playing there. Like what? I, I I don't think that'd be a bad idea, but it's the city of Chicago owns it, so they would do what they see fit. I mean, technically, the stadium isn't on the national registry; it's the columns that are on the national registry. Okay, the old portion of Soldier Field. Okay, so the entirety of Soldier Field isn't on the registry; it's merely the columns. Uh, I knew this would come out. I knew somebody would bring this up. CK Bears are taking Harrison Jr. number one fields as average because team is trash. Um, I've seen enough of Justin Fields, and I still am shocked that people try to defend Justin Fields as being held back by the players around him. <laughs> he has good receivers. You, you could buy that for a year, but you've seen you've seen three years of Justin Fields, and he's not good. He is not good enough to be a successful NFL quarterback. Okay. What do really elite quarterbacks do in the NFL? They raise up the level of everybody around them. Justin Fields is incapable of doing it. And the bears defense is probably a top 15 unit in the league. It is definitely a top 15 unit. You could argue top 10. Okay. And the, he has receivers. Like you mentioned, he has one of the best young wide uh, tight ends in the league in Cole Komet. He has a legit Number one receiver in DJ Moore. Okay. He has a solid cadre of running backs. That's not an excuse. There's no longer any excuse about Justin. I, I, I don't know what this infatuation is with Justin Fields, like defending him to the death, uh, but it, 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 you just sound ignorant when you say it. Like he's not good. And we've seen enough to know that. As someone mentioned on the text line of 46862, CK Soldier Field no longer a historical site due to the upgrades last time. That is actually correct. Uh, it was delisted in 2006 when they did the upgrade. But the but on the national registry are the columns. Okay, so you can't tear can't alter down. the columns. Yes, you have to leave the columns. That's why the Bears did what they did because they couldn't tear the columns down because they were on the registry. So it's an interesting point. Would would the city of Chicago demolish the new stadium portion, keep the old stadium portion, and you know have the fire and and stuff play there? Do Outdoor concerts, stuff like that, maybe. Yeah, I mean, you'd make a lot of money with concerts there. Very much so. But uh, we'll see what the Bears do. NFL draft can't come close enough. We'll see. We'll have plenty to talk about between now and then. But but I do think right now, as we stand, the Bears are going to be moving on for Justin Fields. And uh, I, for one, am saying it's about time. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think they'll be able to get a better deal than people think because everyone is always desperate for a quarterback who happens to have starting experience in the NFL. Coming up next, from the Bears and the NFL to the Puppy Bowl. Puppy Bowl 20 will give you the lowdown on what to expect for this year's event, including some incredible dog names. I'm looking forward to saying these names on the air. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Uh, someone suggested the Bears should sign Baker Mayfield and draft Marvin Harrison Jr. Clearly a hater. Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of Or a Baker Mayfield lover. 46862 is the text line. Again, 46862. Someone else saying the Bears O-line needs to be improved. Well, everybody's offensive line needs to be improved. Yeah. I mean, the Bears are, are, 
are like every other team. The, in the league regard. outside of what? Like the Dallas Cowboys and yeah, San Francisco are in like an offensive line deficient league. It's not yeah. just it's not just like one or two teams. It's every team. And I think a lot of that has to do with how contracts are paid out now. Uh the lack of reps in training camp, lack of, you know, pad days, fewer preseason games, or just less time to evaluate. And I think offensive line has been one of those position groups that has been left behind because of it. In terms of needs heading into the offseason, every single team in the NFL on their list of needs somewhere is upgrade the offensive line. Yes. Whether it's the starters, whether it's the depth, whatever, every team is looking to upgrade the offensive line. The Bears definitely need to do it, but so do 31 other teams. Yeah. it's There are very few teams that are set, and even the ones that, that were, like I threw out the Cowboys, they could lose Tyron Smith this offseason. So, I mean, <laughs> it's starting from scratch yet again. Well, speaking, Baker of, speaking of scratch. I was, <laughs> I was gonna say Baker Mayfield's gonna be the starter for the uh for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for the next decade, right? Yeah, but I mean the way it's playing out. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, anyway. that was an unintentional segue. But okay. speaking of scratch, the Puppy Bowl details have been released. Puppy Bowl twenty. You you watched the Puppy Bowl? I, I enjoy the Puppy Bowl. Yes. It's fun. So is there anything on else on on Friday on Sunday? That's all I watch. Well, yeah, exactly. Right. So the full lowdown: you have Team Fluff and Team Rough, as always. Uh-huh. But this is Puppy Bowl twenty, and there are 131 dogs participating from 73 shelters nationwide. Six of the participating dogs have special needs, including a pug terrier Riddle, who has a neurological condition, mm. and. Uh, a dog named Mr. Bean, only two hind legs, so nice. everyone gets to be a part of it. It will also feature the all-time smallest pup, Sweet Pea, 1.7-pound Cavapoo, Ooh. and the biggest, Levi, a 72-pound Great Dane. Again, Puppy Bowl, so, I mean, a Great Dane would be the largest puppy, but some of the names, uh, Team Fluff, led by Patrick Mabomes. Like it. Love it. Uh, they also have Cronut, Harvey, Francine, Beignet, Linus. Fred and Levi, and then Team Rough, led by Bark Purdy. Love it. A Chihuahua. Mm-hmm. From Sacramento. Purdy. Also, Striker, Vanessa, Guy Ferrari, Moosh, Mr. Bean, Lady Luck, and Sonny. Uh, those are some of the, the top dogs in this competition. Now, Team Fluff won the Lombarki. <laughs> this is, I, I love how everything is, you know, yes, like tied in. Tied in with the names. Uh, last year, 87 83 win. Now, how do they score points? That is a question I do not know the answer to. Because every time I turn it on, they're just like, it's just chaos. Now, team scoring was introduced in 2015. So, okay. Team Fluff, uh, their win last year, both teams have four Lombardi trophies. I need to see the format of what goes down because when I turn it on, I just watch the dogs. Yeah. And they're just like playing or sniffing each other's butts or whatever. <laughs> I don't know how they're scoring points in this thing. So, I'll need to be uh, properly educated but two to five p.m uh, on our Sunday. our pregame show though oh nice lots of an uh, analysis pre-game. and interviews and predictions yes. uh they'll probably talk with every dog yes all 131 sure how they're all getting ready i'm sure there's a a a side story about one of the dogs girlfriends trying to make the puppy bowl in time for kickoff <laughs> and i'm sure that will be a uh, a story to watch but so, yes, 1 p.m. pregame, 2 p.m. kickoff. Now, I don't think the dogs are really doing a lot of kicking. I don't think game. so. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah, I just, uh, 
I, I wish I knew how this thing was scored. I mean, I had to turn tune in starting at two o'clock or maybe even earlier with the I, pregame. I love how dog toys and like they're allowed to do this can like rebrand popular products. Uh huh. We have like a lot of dog toys that are are play on words of some other thing. It's always so funny to me. Yeah. Uh, but the fact that it's Lombarki trophy is just too perfect. It's just uh, very witty. Now, of course, the whole goal of Puppy Bowl each and every Adoption. year is to get this these dogs adopted. Yes. And a lot of them are already adopted going into the game. Very nice. But 131 dogs, 73 shelters across the U.S. participating in this. So that is how you can take in the Puppy Bowl for the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 58, right here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Pre-game at 5, kickoff at 6.30 between the Chiefs and Niners on Sunday. Now, when will you turn tune in to the Super Bowl on Sunday? Will you turn tune in? Kickoff. Maybe, you'll turn in a kickoff, yeah. yes. Uh, will you tune in for the pre-game anthem and the Black National Anthem and God probably, Bless America, all that yeah, stuff? Yeah, I guess probably closer to like 6.15. So when's kickoff? Six thirty. Six thirty. Okay. Yeah, I'll probably turn it uh, turn it on at like six twenty seven or something. I'm certainly not going to watch the ten hours of oh, it's just brutal. Pre-game. Like even it, this week, it's like I've had enough. Yeah, that's that's what your whole thing yes, with two weeks. My, between, my whole thing, the two weeks served its purpose in the pre-internet era. It's completely unnecessary now. Yes. Uh, in fact, I would say the last fifteen years has become more of a detriment. It, it makes me less excited about the game with the media buildup because the media buildup is really only Wednesday through Sunday anymore. Anyway, of the week of they move the pro bowl back. You don't need all this time. I guess the only positive is if there's a player who suffers like a, a sprained ankle or something. They have two weeks to heal up. True. And we saw that with Patrick Mahomes, right? And his ankle. So what last year mm-hmm. didn't seem to be an issue. So I guess that's that's the only positive. Yeah, it's just kind of dragging it out, and um, you know, after this, we we got to wait a while for football. So uh, enjoy it while it lasts. Oh, you're not going to watch the UFL? No, no, I'm not. <laughs> Same, I'm not. The last gasp of trying to make that work with two leagues combining into one, but it'll still be uh, a nothing in terms of ratings. Nobody cares. I would fully agree. Coming up on the other side, we'll kick off hour number two. What players had to say over some key issues in the NFL, according to the NFLPA, including grass versus turf. The debate rages on. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two, Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on a Thursday. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kenny with you coming up this hour on the show. The debate rages on in the NFL. The NFLPA with new numbers on the grass versus turf debate and why the NFL can talk all at once, but the results are certainly there to make a change. Plus, a former pacer awaiting a heart transplant and new Tin Caps manager Mike Daly will join us at about 8.30. And before we leave you, a man was arrested after climbing the sphere in Las Vegas. It's Super Bowl week. People are going to do some crazy things in Las Vegas. I think we have perhaps our first wild story to come out of Super Bowl 58 week in the desert. That's all to come this hour on the show. Justin? Still doing well here in uh, an hour still, two? Yep, still still holding strong here in okay. hour two. Yep, we're good. Let's see if we can finish strong over the next 53 minutes. <laughs>
All right. Well, the NFLPA has a new survey out. 92% of players prefer grass over turf as this debate continues on in the NFL. The data collected by the union injuries occurring on a slower rate on natural grass. And this comes with the caveat that grass has had its highest injury rate in a decade, but it's still below that of turf. Now, when you look at the NFL, you have 13 NFL stadiums that use natural grass, but you have seven stadiums that are going to be part of FIFA World Cup, which uh, I don't know if you saw the World Cup stadium names, New York, uh, New Jersey Stadium. Like, it's, That's a real stadium? That's, that's what they name? called MetLife Stadium. They refused to name the sponsors, which I, I found funny. Um, but It's they, the name of the stadium. I know. I, I know. So but, what? Because that, cause MetLife wasn't paying FIFA? Yeah, probably. Stupid, <laughs> but seven NFL stadiums are going to be used for the World Cup that are switching to grass. Gillette Stadium, MetLife Stadium, Lumen Field in Seattle, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, uh, AT&T Stadium, Energy Stadium, and SoFi Stadium. So if soccer can demand it and figure it out, you can't tell me that the NFL can't figure it out. They just simply don't demand it because they don't care. No, I just well said because the NFL. Won't uh, won't force stadiums and franchises to do it, and um, in the end, the NFLPA it has a lot of power that it doesn't necessarily utilize in terms yes. of really getting what it wants. the The NFLPA is a pushover because the easy thing is to do is they just throw more money at them. That's basically what happens. Is okay. Well, you're getting this percentage, but you're upset about this, this, this. We'll give you this percentage, and they're like, okay, that's what happens when they wanted to add Thursday games, and they're like, no, 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 we're not playing Thursday games. Well, here's more money. Okay, we're cool. And this is the same thing too. Like you have to stay, stay, stay strong in terms of some of these things to try to get these things. And the NFLPA, it just seems like a pushover because the NFL knows that they can just throw more money at them, and then they'll accept. Whatever they want, whether it's Thursday games, whether it's overseas games without a buy, uh, things like that. And of course, turf as opposed to natural grass. And one of the uh, other storylines that come out of Super Bowl week is the 49ers complaining about the practice field at UNLV. So a bit more context because we thought, you know, the, the players are saying it was soft, but it's playable. Uh, that's what uh, Roger Goodell said. It was playable. Well, apparently the issue here is that they didn't use the the typical process that they do in this situation. So they didn't put um, plastic over the turf field and then install the sod. So someone saying, and you know, that's not how this is supposed to work. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the representatives of the NFLPA saying, when you're putting a grass sod field over existing turf. You put a hard plastic cover over the turf before putting the sod down, which makes sense, right? It's too soft because you have grass on grass, and there's just yeah. not enough. Uh, not there's too much give. There's not enough of a solid surface. So if that's not what happened, I mean, this is just a simple mistake that should not have happened. <laughs> Plain and simple. Yeah, it's just uh, unfortunate. But uh, some other things that came out yesterday with this NFLPA. Which I find interesting. The player's not in favor of banning the hip drop tackle. So I find that, and we debated this before, I yeah. think uh, a couple, I don't know, a month ago maybe. I'm surprised that this is 
the the way they came out on this because you have defenders that of course are are not going to vote for banning the hip drop tackle but at the same time you have many offensive players uh, that are voting in this thing that would you would think would say uh no i mean we don't need this this in the game but i thought an interesting uh comment uh from it from uh who is this that the, the uh Clay's Campbell? Yes, Clay's Campbell and said basically in terms of the hip drop tackle quote this is definitely a big issue. I know the whole point is to make the game safer and keep guys on the field, but at the same time, there's only so much you can restrict the game and still call it football. I don't think taking it out of the game is going to work. Because he also said, I don't understand how you can police it the right way and allow us to do your job. At the end of the day, it's like, how do you tackle a guy? I, I tend to agree. I, and I've kind of go on both sides because I look at the hip drop and I'm like, you can't be just basically dropping to the ground and putting all your weight on somebody's legs. But at the same time, you're it's, a, it's an interesting point. Well, how am I supposed to tackle this person that won't go down? I kind of get it. And part of me is too, is it's football. It's a violent game. It's human beings with, let's be real, minimal padding smashing into each other. What do you expect to happen? There's going to be injuries. And one other thought as far as what the, NFLPA had to say on the gambling ban for the Chiefs and Niners ending after the Super Bowl. Uh, they're in favor of it, but they go a step further. Uh, Campbell also mentioning, not a fan of the NFL banning gambling outside of football, calling the rules outdated. Saying there was a time when it made sense, but now that with technology, being able to bet on your phone, change can come pretty fast. Obviously, I think everyone's going to be in agreement that they should not be allowed to bet on the NFL. They should just not bet on the NFL, but everything else season. is legal. Yeah, that Doesn't to me seem like seems a, to be the logical change. Yeah, I just uh, especially with how big and prevalent that these uh, sports books are to the NFL is you're marketing to fans, but you're also marketing to, to players. And you know what? If they want to do this, that, and the other with their money, that's that's their right. And um, as long as they're not betting on the NFL. Well, and and here's the thing: if the NFL is going to go all in. On sports betting, you know, with ads everywhere, nonstop sure. during games, um, promos, and yeah, and yep. and have these NFL approved partnerships with with several of the sports books. I think the least they could do is at least make that accessible, not for NFL games, but accessible beyond that. Yeah, no, I I. I... I definitely agree, but in terms of the the grass versus turf, I mean the NFL PA. You have teeth. You you can demand certain things, uh, and and complaining about it is one thing. But if you can, if you can put action into words, you know, then um, then I think it's it's definitely something that you should look at. And I think the the biggest issue I have is if if FIFA can demand it for these NFL stadiums that are going to be hosting World Cup games that they have natural grass fields. The NFL can figure it out. I think it just comes down to, as you mentioned, the NFLPA, it, it's time to put up or shut up. I think I'm just getting tired of them talking about all these issues, but then not doing anything about it. Because all they do is just give in to the money. Yeah. That, that the NFL is like, here, here's uh, 2% more of the, of the piece of the pie. And they're like, okay, we're cool. Yeah. Like at, at some point you can't be bought off. And we, when the NFL and all the issues, we talked about gambling. We talked about grass versus turf uh the 17th game which will soon be the 18th game let's not kid ourselves 
player safety, Thursday games. Thursday games. It's all about the money in the end. And if the NFLPA wants to make change happen, they got to do more than just be bought off by, oh, we'll we'll give you a higher salary cap and you'll make more money. We'll have higher guaranteed contracts. It can't be that simple. Right. Now, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, it was that simple. But now it's not about compensation. It's about quality uh, within the product and the the little things that we just mentioned about. You know, it's it's demanding that you have safer helmet technology. It's demanding natural grass fields. It's making sure if there's going to be an 18th game, you add in a second bye week, right? It's things like that and it, that make me take the NFLPA more seriously. But they're not doing any of these things. You can have your surveys and you can have your annual results during Super Bowl week. But when it comes down to it, you got to make some change happen. And I guess I I like what I'm hearing from them, but what are the actionable steps right. to improve football? The other thing we didn't even talk about was officiating. Now, I don't know if that's really an NFLPA focus because I think that's just a fan-driven narrative. Is the is here's my thing. Is the officiating any worse than it was 10, 20, 30 years ago? And the answer is no. It's just more in the spotlight. It's more scrutinized. We have more scrutinized. We have multiple camera angles, right? We have the evidence. We have replay. We have everybody that basically has their own television studio on their phone that can zoom in on stuff and post it on social media and how not rage. Like officiating is the same that it's always been. In fact, it's probably better. Yes. It's a, it's a lot better. (laughs) If you watch, watch games without instant replay and some of the horrendous missed calls. Yes. And historic games you watch and you're like, Mm -hmm. wow, that was called this way or that way. Like, but it it's scrutinized because of the narrative that everybody has about how bad officiating is when it's not really that bad. Also, let's not deny HD and its impact yes. on Huge. on football. It's helped in the growth of sports, but it's also helped in the I just think the the reviews and all those things, I mean it's over it's overkill because we have too much technology at our hands now. But in terms of a simple basic thing of natural grass being the best playing surface. Who would have thought, right? It's just so obvious. And it's it's great that AstroTurf is no longer a thing, but players talking about having to wear a lot of turf tape when playing on synthetic grass because of burns. You just would think at some point the NFLPA, the players would demand more and actually make some change happen. It's enough complaining. It's time to get it done. Yeah, show that you're actually serious about the needs of the of your players association and the players outside of just taking more money. I mean, right now you're an entity that can easily be bought off and the NFL knows that. 46862 your text line number again 46862 if you have thoughts on this let us know. Also don't forget you can always listen on 1380thefan.com for free on the stream on the free 1380thefan app. We're on your smart speaker as well each and every day during the show. 24-7. Stream, app, smart speaker, all live here on 1380 The Fan. Coming up on the other side, a former Pacer dealing with a life-threatening condition. We'll give you the details next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. 46862 is your text line number. Again, 46862. Just put in CK before your message. Coming up in less than 10 minutes from now, Mike Daly, new Tin Caps manager, will join us. Tin Caps tickets on sale at Parkview Field 
single game tickets for the upcoming season right now. Uh, up until 10 o'clock, they're having free breakfast for people who buy tickets today uh, at Parkview Field. So Parkview Field Lounge, um, you buy your tickets, you can get a free breakfast. So tickets on sale at Parkview Field, the box office, also tincaps.com, or you can call 260-482-6400. Again, 260-482-6400. We'll talk with Mike Daly, new Tincaps manager, coming up in just a bit. Meanwhile, right now, a former Pacer is awaiting a heart transplant. I don't know if you saw this, Justin. Scott Pollard, who played three seasons for the Pacers. Uh, I really think of him as a Sacramento King, playing with those great yes. Kings teams of the early 2000s, just loaded. Chris Webber, Mike Bibby, Doug Christie, uh, Jim Jackson, Bobby Jackson, Pages Stojakovic, like uh, the, that team loaded with talent that can never get past the Lakers, right? Yes. In the West. Uh, but he played for that team as well early on in his career, won a championship with the Celtics in 2008, 11 seasons overall after a, a very solid college career at Kansas. Uh, but he's 48 years old and he had a virus a couple of years ago that kind of changed. So his, his dad died when he was a teen, you know, the same condition. But he he had a virus, and then his heart started beating ten thousand times per day. An extra ten yeah, thousand extra ten thousand times day. per day. So, so a high heart rate. Yes, high. and they've they've tried medications, and he's had three ablations. But basically, he needs a heart transplant. And what's wild is half of his siblings have the same yeah. condition. So it's just a, a genetic condition. He kind of knows where it's at, and now he's at Vanderbilt Hospital in Nashville, Tennessee. He's he's made Carmel his home, so he's lived in the Indianapolis area post-playing career. Uh, but again, because of that condition uh, that was likely triggered by a virus he got in 2021, having issues finding a donor, and it's next level with a donor for a heart transplant for obvious reasons as well. So Wish Scott Pollard the best of luck. You know, it's wild because you don't really kind of don't think about it, but it's six foot 11. You need a bigger heart than you would for yeah. somebody that's five foot seven. So uh, that's an issue. And as uh, Scott Pollard said uh, on a story on NBA.com, basically said, uh, quote, you don't see a lot of old seven footers walking around. So I've known that my whole life, just because I had that seared into my brain as a 16 year old, that yeah, being tall is great, but I'm not going to see 80, end quote. His dad died at just 54 years old, so that's why this transplant is obviously very, very important. Very much so. So hopefully Scott Pollard can uh, can find a donor uh, in time because uh, desperate to need one, and, and, and it can't just be no run-of-the-mill heart. It needs to be some from, some from someone that was pretty big, pretty tall, like Scott Pollard. And Scott Pollard, known for his fun... Hair and facial, facial hair, hair yes. uh, combinations. Like some mutton chops he used uh-huh. to sport. He had a Fu Manchu for a bit. Did he have like a ponytail type? Yes. Of, but it was like kind of like up, you know? Yes, he yep. did. So uh, a yeah. very uh, spunky player. I mean, not not a big time scorer, but a rebounder and a guy who brought a lot of energy off the bench. Uh, was just a, a guy who Pacers fans enjoyed when he was here. Obviously started his career with the Kings, won a title with the Celtics. Unfortunately for him, he had an ankle injury that season and was out for several months so he wasn't really playing in the NBA finals but 
uh, obviously, hopefully he's able to get a new heart through this process. Yeah, let's hope so. And uh, we'll keep an eye on that story. And uh, hopefully it works out for Scott Pollard. Uh, I sent a text coming out of the break. I told Mike Nutter, we need a live report. How's the breakfast looking up at Parkview yeah. Field? Because uh, at the Parkview Field, uh, if you go in the main entrance and you go upstairs yes. to basically like the suite level, club level area, um, that's where the breakfast is from 8 to 10. So until 10 o'clock, you have time, get down there. You can pick out single game tickets. You can put together uh, ticket packages, whatever you want from 8 to 10 down there. And uh, he said... Uh, it's delicious. The breakfast going quickly. He said extra crispy bacon with our name on it down there. So that sounds pretty good. It sounds pretty tasty here this morning. But if you have some time, if you're downtown, even if you're not going to buy any tickets, go in. Well, you got to buy tickets to get the food. No, you don't. You can yeah, you go do. in there. No, you can go in there and get food. I thought it was only for people who buy tickets. No, I think you can go in there. And That's get, my understanding. <laughs> but uh, go in there and visit Mike Nutter. Well, and you can go in, but you just won't get the, the no. Free I food. I think you can get free food. <laughs> I think you can get free food even if you don't buy tickets. That's what I'm going with. And tell them Caleb and Kenny sent you, or just say <laughs> Kenny sent you because yeah. Caleb is of the opinion that you can't. No, like it, literally, if you buy tickets, you get access to the breakfast. Ah, uh, just say <laughs> you know us, and you should be able to get breakfast. But go over there and visit Mike Nutter. Plenty of bacon and eggs and yes. all that good stuff up there till ten o'clock. And no reason not to buy tickets. It's not like it's gonna. Yeah, just go buy either. two tickets for a game in June and then eat. That's true. I mean, I'm already ready for warmer weather. Maybe that will kind of put you in the right mood. It's going to be that. warm today, tomorrow. We had a great weather last year for opening day. It was like pushing 70, wasn't it? But today, yeah. tomorrow, this is ideal weather for early April for uh, opening day. So we can hope that it'll be this nice come opening day. And coming up on the other side, new Tin Caps manager Mike Daly will join us to talk about his new role in Fort Wayne. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Single game tickets on sale now for the Tin Caps. Again, you can head over to the Parkview Field, buy single game tickets, complimentary breakfast until 10 a.m. this morning. So check it out in the Parkview Field Lounge. And joining us to talk about the Tin Caps upcoming season, it is new Tin Caps manager Mike Daly. Mike, good morning. Thanks for being with us on the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Nice job on that blues traveler there that, with that music. Well done. <laughs> Already off to a good start. Yeah, so downhill from here. Thanks for uh, getting up with us. I assume you're in Dallas at the moment uh, where you reside in the offseason. But with this new role, obviously making the switch from the Padres assistant director of player development to now managing one of their minor league teams, but was this a goal for you when you entered baseball as a scout, or was this kind of a process that you came to uh, in recent years, being interested in a managerial role? I think it was a little bit more of a process over the years. Um, I think the foundation of baseball is scouting and evalu- evaluation, and I was you know, fortunate to be able to you know cut my teeth, uh, you know, seeing players and working the draft and working international scouting. Um, but as I you know, kind of continued to grow and had the opportunity to get around some really good managers in the minor league system uh, to see the impact that they had on uh, people, on players, and other staff members, um, it kind of grew in terms of my interest of you know trying to uh, you know take a swing at uh, you know being a manager. And I'm fortunate to be able to you know have this you know opportunity here with the hope of you know impacting uh, our players and our you know fellow staff. Mike, how does your previous experience, including being an assistant general manager, 
uh, for the Texas Rangers and and being in baseball operations and a scout. How does that help you in your managerial role? I think that it just provides a different perspective. Um, I think you know having the opportunity to having scout internationally, having scout like all over the U.S. You know, being in the front office, uh, working uh, alongside our general manager in uh, Texas um, in terms of you know working with with the major league staff and, and the major league club. I think it just gives you a different perspective. Um, clearly, there are things on the manager side here that I'm going to learn, and I'm very excited about that. I've got a great staff to work with, uh, but I just think having that perspective is just a different, unique perspective to be able to bring you know, into this role here as the manager of the Tin Caps. And I think it's going to help help me, but certainly there's a a learning curve in terms of the day to day of being the manager of a minor league team. Mike Daly, new Tin Caps manager, joining us on the guest line. Your time as a scout back earlier in your career, how much do you think that's going to help not only with just the grind of the minor league baseball season, but also being able to identify players' strengths and weaknesses in developing throughout the season? I think it's going to be very helpful. I think, you know, acquiring players is very hard, whether it's in the draft or, um, you know, signing sign players internationally or trade. So it's really hard to be able to bring players into the organization. I know how much our scouting department works to identify players, not with, not just with talent, but with also makeup and drive and guys that want to be good. And those are the best players, guys that are, you know, really, really talented, but, but also guys that have a, uh, you know, inner drive that are smart that, you know, want to be good. So I have a lot of respect for what happens on the, on the scouting side in terms of all the work that has to go in to bring players into the system. And then, you know, very, Excited personally to be able to partner with the players on their journey. You know, these guys have big time goals to, you know, be in Fort Wayne and move up to, you know, double A, triple A, and ultimately to the big league. So it's my job along with our staff just to, you know, to, to be able to help these guys, you know, along their path towards, you know, double A, triple A, and ultimately to a Petco Park. In terms of, of preparation for a managerial role, and, and it's February, opening days in, in April, what are the next two months kind of going to be for you, kind of getting acclimated, but also preparing this team for the season? Well, from a personal standpoint, i got to you know, throw a lot more batting practice. So I head out to Arizona <laughs> here uh, you know, later today, so I'll be out there you know, you know, trying to throw as much you know, batting practice as possible. But uh, you know, right now, we're just getting with the staff. We've had like, you know, multiple... Zoom calls with the staff, kind of talking about some of the structure that we want to put in place. You know what the what the best environment looks like for our players, and then we'll get out to Arizona here. Um, you know, for me, like a today, and then in the coming weeks for the rest of the staff, get with our players and you know, really start to you know partner with them on what their player plan looks like. What's the most important thing for those guys to be able to accomplish in a Fort Wayne that's going to help them hopefully win some games there at the Parkview Field, but then also going to help them in their career. So. Just a lot of playing, a lot of conversations, but you know, really you know, focused on what's best for the player and the environment that we're looking to you know, try to set there. Newton Caps manager Mike Daly joining us. And, and Mike, one of the challenges for minor league managers, just the fact that your roster is assigned to you and there's probably not a lot of lead time on that, because of your prior role in the Padres organization, do you feel like you have a leg up in terms of what you know about the players in, in the farm system and, and kind of being a part of the roster construction? Absolutely. I think, the, you know, coming into any new organization, I had to go through that a couple of years ago. You don't know the players, you don't know the people, uh, but definitely having the opportunity over the last two-plus years to be in the Padres system to understand who those players are, but also having the opportunity to 
you know, understand from the scouting side who these players are coming into the system is only helpful. And I think uh, you know, having uh, you know, all of our staff um, that's going to be joining us there in Fort Wayne, everybody has been in the system now for a couple years at least. So I think ultimately, you know, if you have trust with the players and relationships with the players and have a you know, very kind of clear understanding of kind of where they've come from and where they're trying to go, it's only helpful in, in terms of, uh, you know, you know, working with the players and hopefully, you know, having them uh, be the best versions of themselves. Mike, you spent a lot of time as a scout. Obviously, I'm sure that was a grind traveling not only all over the country, but also you did that internationally as well. Is there a player that you really feel most proud of kind of hitting the mark on and then maybe another player who you thought would make it, but it didn't for due to injuries or for whatever reasons that was, you know, a really talented player just couldn't quite get to the majors. I uh, have missed on a lot of players, and I don't think there's enough time in your radio show to be able to kind of talk about all the players I've missed on in my career on the scouting side. That's a, it's an ugly list. Um, I think what's been really cool, you know, that now that I've kind of been in baseball for you know, 20 plus years, uh, those relationships are are you know really good. Clearly, like Jerks and Profar was like you know somebody who we had built a great relationship with him, his family. Uh, but to be able to see Jerks and you know come back to, to the Padres, and then I actually you know, ran into Jerkson um, you know, back in January down in the Dominican Republic randomly. He's down there playing. So I just think you know, being able to have those relationships with our players, but clearly Jerkson is somebody that we invested a lot of time with when we signed him in 2009, and then to be able to see him you know, in his career, but then to still have a relationship with him and his family, um, they brought like a huge smile to my face when I was able to see him a couple months ago down there in, in Santo Domingo. Mike, any any mentors or anything or anybody that you've kind of looked for guidance here as you transition to the next uh, this this new challenge in your career? Sure, I mean I think that uh, you know, clearly Mike Schilt has come in over the past couple of years with the Padres, and you know to be able to you know talk to Mike and you know lean into Mike in terms of the Cardinal way, but his path you know from the minor leagues up 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 to the major leagues. Um, I was very fortunate to be able to see Ron Washington there with Texas for like a number of years and just. How much passion and love he had for for the players and his drive every day. I mean, he you know really got these you know got the players to work and it was uh, fun and but to be able to see Wash you know day in and day out and then uh, I was very lucky to be able to you know be, be a walk on and you know, ride the bench at uh, at the LSU and uh, Skip Bertman who was down there in the late 90s um, just to be able to you know be on that team and kind of see how Coach Bertman uh, you know worked with us and the players and just to, just to be able to see, you know, maybe like the you know, greatest college coach in, uh, you know, history to be able to see him, see him, uh, you know, work day in and day out. That was certainly impactful for me. Mike Daly, new Tin Caps manager with us on the guest line. So uh, Johnny Matthews, who you, you've worked with in the Tin Caps organization, former Tin Caps manager, he's a big golf guy. What, what do you like to do to relax in the off season? Kind of what's your go-to activity? Uh, I would love to play golf, but Johnny told me a lot about some of the great courses up there um, in a Fort Wayne. I'm you know, looking forward to you know, getting on the golf course you know, out there. I would never play uh, Johnny for money. He's, he's really good. Um, <laughs> he would uh, you know, definitely take my money and not like a blink twice. But yeah, Johnny had unbelievable things to say about Fort Wayne, you know, clearly a special place in, in his heart. Uh, but the way that he talks about Fort Wayne has me super – Excited! I've, I've had the chance to you know you'll be up there over the past couple of years and just to see like the fan engagement and everything going on like a downtown. But 
Yeah, hopefully on Mondays we're out there on a, a golf course. And if you guys got any good good like, like a recommendations, please let me know. Mike Daly, manager of the Tin Caps, joining us here. And Mike, you know, some people say, well, he's a Southern guy, you know, in Texas and resides in Dallas, and you were born in Atlanta, but you moved up here to Ohio. You went to high school in Cincinnati. Uh, you got your MBA and master's from Ohio University. So you're familiar with up here. You're familiar with the ups and downs of the weather and, and all that. Absolutely. What I'm hoping for is that what it sounds like today is a beautiful day up there. So hopefully on a, you know April 5th, like it'll be uh, you know sunny and 52 degrees. But it, it sounds like it's you know unbelievable up there today in Fort Wayne. Yeah, it's Fort nice. Sunday. Yeah, it's nice today and tomorrow. And last year, you, you, you have to blame Johnny if this doesn't go right, because last year it was like close to 70 on opening day. And you know that it always evens out. So if we have like 23 degrees and flurries on opening day, we can blame Johnny. We'll just take 52 every day. Gotcha. I, as opposed to 71 <laughs> day and 23 the next, you know? Just even it out. Like 52 right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Coach, tell, tell us a little bit about uh, playing for LSU in those two national championships in the late 90s and, and 2000, because that just had to be a tremendous experience. Yeah, I, mean, I would use the term play very, very loosely. <laughs> Usually had to be up by about uh, two touchdowns to be able to get in the game, but. I think the most important was just seeing like like the quality of the players. I mean, it was uh, like eye opening to me to be able to see the size and strength of, of the players, how smart you know my you know, teammates were, how competitive they were. Uh, but to be able to you know sit there in the back of the you know squad room and to be like in the corner of the uh, you know clubhouse just to be able to learn and see every day. You know, working in baseball was something that I you know always wanted to do, um, but to be able to be you know, on that team there at LSU and to be able to see Coach Bertman was like a true master's class in terms of like how to, how to run a program. So I was very, very fortunate to, to be on that team. Um, but, you know, it was, I always got like a little nervous when we were, you know, up, you know, 13 nothing because then there was like a real chance I'd actually get in the game. So I was thankful that you know, every game that I played in, we, we won. But that was usually because we were up by, uh, you, know, you know, 14 points. So very, very good down there in Baton Rouge. Very lucky. Mike Daly, new Tin Caps manager with us. Obviously, spring training is the next thing on your list. Do you have a, a date when you're set to arrive in Fort Wayne and get ready for the season here? Uh, yeah, we'll be flying in on I think on Saturday, March 30th. So I you know head out to you know, Arizona today, make the drive out there, and then we'll uh, fly in on Saturday, the 30th of March, I think, and then we'll uh, you know practice for a, a couple days, and then head up to a Great Lakes there on a Friday the 5th. So looking forward to it. Newton Gaps manager Mark Mike Daly with us. Mike, thanks so much for taking the time to join us this morning, and we look forward uh, to seeing you at Parkview Field coming up in just a couple months. Thank you, guys. That is Mike Daly with us, and don't forget, Tin Caps single game tickets on sale now. Uh, in fact, you can visit Parkview Field in person, get complimentary breakfast uh, with your tickets until 10 o'clock this morning. Again, on sale now, you can also go to tincaps.com as well and pick up your tickets. But uh, great to have Mike with us on the show and hope to see the Tin Caps make another playoff run this upcoming season. Let's do it. It all starts, uh, at least at home, the home portion on opening day, Tuesday, April 9th. And like you said, we'll be very lucky if we can get 70 degree weather yes. again on opening we'll be, day like we did last year. We'll be lucky if we get today's weather. Yeah. I have like 57 <laughs> or whatever, so... We'll see what we can get, but again, single game tickets on sale beginning today. You can call the Tin Caps. You can go online, tincaps.com, and until 10 o'clock, you can stop in 
to Parkview Field to purchase in-person tickets and enjoy complimentary breakfast in the Parkview Field Lounge. Coming up on the other side, we'll wrap it up here on a Thursday, including a man arrested after climbing the sphere in Las Vegas. It's Super Bowl week, and people are already doing crazy things. We'll wrap it up next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Did you pick this song intentionally? Uh, no, but it goes along it, with it does. It does uh, go along I don't know if this perfectly. guy fell with some of the places he's climbed. Yeah, clearly hasn't fallen not, yet. He would not be getting back up again. Caleb and Kenny in the morning wrapping it up. So uh, there was a man seen climbing the sphere in Las Vegas yesterday morning. Well, more details on that. It is Mason Deschamps, uh, known as Pro-Life Spider-Man. Uh, he's a uh, pro-life activist, but he's facing charges of destruction of property and conspiracy to destroy private property. And this was not his first climbing stunt. In fact, he's essentially a professional climber who does everything free solo, which means no cables, ropes, anything. He just is a free Swire. climber. And he climbed the sphere yesterday, so it was not some drunk guy or someone you know, paying a bet with his buddies. This is a professional who did this. He's climbed other buildings. He was previously arrested for climbing the Aria in Las Vegas in August of 2021. And he climbed the century tower in Chicago as well. I, I, uh, and seeing him climb the Accenture tower in Chicago, it's basically like he's lodged in between two walls and he's just hopping up. Like, so he's bracing himself with all four limbs and then we'll put his arms up a little bit and then do a little hitch up. Then like it's it's insane. Um whether you agree or disagree with his activism, it's pretty damn amazing what he's able to do on buildings. And most recently it was the sphere yesterday. Yeah. Uh I can't imagine. It does you know, he reached the top and then he's just kind of standing there. That's kinda of, I wonder, like like did he come back down and they arrested him? Do they have access to the top? I I, I don't That's know. what's not listed. In the story that I've read, These but are the pertinent details that I would like to have. It, it took him about an hour. Uh, normally, it takes him about an hour, but apparently, he climbed in about fifteen or twenty minutes. The sphere yesterday, pretty impressive. But uh, the sphere, one of my favorite uh, things in Vegas, that supposedly is now making money in the first quarter. We we documented that uh, last uh, or last month, I think, about how much they lost in the fourth quarter. They're actually making money now with the sphere. How about that? Hot dog. Yeah. Well, helps when you have events and, you know, from the F1 race in November to now the Super Bowl. I'm sure that provides that a de- massive advertising boost. Definitely helps. How <laughs> high would you climb on anything, tree, whatever, without any type of safety? Would it be 10 feet, 20 feet? Yeah, probably feet? like 10 to 20 feet climbing a tree, which, yeah. I mean, I. It is a kid, it is a right? Kid, yeah. <laughs> so, but you know, God forbid, can't do it now. It's way too dangerous. <laughs> you know, kids were dying by the millions climbing trees. But uh, did you climb a lot of trees as a kid? You know, there was a one particular tree at uh, Hamilton Park, or I grew up near Hamilton uh-huh. Park here in Fort Wayne. That uh, I, I, it was just built perfectly to climb, just basically where the notches were and the limbs were, and that was my go-to tree. If it was like a unfamiliar tree. I, I didn't like climbing it, but I could go to that tree and really haul my way up. But um, yeah, I remember like it was, it was, it was fun, man. Back in the day, being able to climb trees, climb spheres, climb buildings. No, but 
trees? Yes. My neighbor growing up, they had a, a tree. It was perfect for climbing. You, you kind of like had this branch that looped out kind of wide and then went straight up. And I think it was okay. like a, a maple tree. Nice. And you just had to hop up on that, pull yourself up, and then you can climb up pretty high in the tree, probably well above 10 feet. Very impressive. It was fun. We'd climb the tree and hang out. It, things he did as a kid oh, back yeah. in the day that. And life was so much simpler. Yeah. I, I don't think anyone is, is doing these activities anymore. Uh, did you see this too? I sent this to you yesterday real quick before we go. George Kittle. Yes. Was asked. Uh, I don't know what even the question was, but how he learned to read. I did by, not see this by reading Calvin oh, yes. And Hobbes yes. books. Yes, I did. Or comics, um, which is very impressive. So uh, if you, if you know, you know, I mean, you grew up with Calvin and Hobbes, just tremendous. Um, just love it for sure. I think he has Calvin and Hobbes tattooed. I was going to say, does he have a hand. tattoo? Yes, he has. <laughs> he has Hobbes tattooed on his hand and he has another one with Calvin and Hobbes on his forearm. So very impressive. Suddenly now I'm a big George Kittle. Fan. Oh, huge. You can't go wrong with, with Calvin and Hobbes. I mean, uh, we used to like uh, from the library, get the like the big books, you know, yes. and, just read and go through them. Oh, I think I still tremendous. have a few of the books. Oh, tremendous. Classic comic strip. Absolutely. Well, thanks to Mike Daly, new Tin Caps manager. Don't forget, single game tickets on sale, tincaps.com, or you can stop by the Parkview Field Lounge, the upper level. So you walk in, go through the gates, go up a floor, and then you can buy your tickets and get complimentary breakfast up until 10 a.m. But Tin Caps, single game tickets on sale now. For Justin Kitty, I'm Caleb Hatch. Dan Patrick up next, The Herd with Colin Cowherd coming up at noon. Indiana Sports Week with Jim Coyle from 3 to 4 and the Sports Rush with Brett Rump from 4 to 6 here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.